Welcome to today's edition of the College Experts Talk podcast, the resource for parents and students navigating the college planning process. Felicia Gopal, founder of collegefundingresource.com and creator of the College Decision Navigator System, talks with world-class college planning experts who openly and honestly share the triumphs and challenges families face every day in helping their children get into and pay for the colleges of their choice. We want you to feel like you're sitting down with our experts and getting their best ideas without paying their considerable consulting fees. So sit back and relax as Felicia interviews others about the issues and concerns of selecting colleges, competing for a coveted place in a class, and ultimately paying for the colleges that admit your kids. Hello, it's Felicia Gopal here from College Expert Talk Podcast. I want to thank everybody for joining us today and welcome you to today's podcast. One of the subjects that's becoming increasingly important or one of the issues that's been coming up is the competition for what seems to be fewer and fewer seats in colleges as well as the increasing competition to get into the colleges has led to what I feel and what today's guest feels is the abundance and rapid spread of false information on college admissions. Today's guest will be responding to some common misconceptions about applying to colleges because knowing the facts will help students and families make better choices about how to spend time in high school while simultaneously decreasing the stress and anxiety that comes from the college-going process. Although the increasing competitiveness of college admission is no surprise to people, and listening to this particular podcast is not going to completely eliminate that, what we're really looking to do is reduce the amount of stress and anxiety that students and families have. I met today's guest at the UCLA Extension College Counseling Program. Jen Curtis is the co-owner and consultant for FutureWise Consulting. Jen has developed and teaches college readiness program for low-income and first-generation students. In addition to that, she also works with that student population, assisting them with navigating the college-going process. She's the editorial assistant of an academic journal and works with graduate students in developing effective writing skills to help her students develop a unique voice that they use to present themselves to colleges. Recently, our guest, Jen, was nominated for the Orange County's Business Journal's Women in Business Awards for 2011. Jen, it is my pleasure to welcome you to the call. Thank you so much for having me, and I just want to say a big hello to everyone listening, and hopefully we can explain away some of the myths that people are hearing that are surrounding college admissions these days. Well, you know, one of the myths that I've heard repeated in my office is Is it true that participating in many activities is one of the keys to getting into college? You know, I think many students believe that they have to try everything under the sun to fill their college resume so that they really get the attention of admissions officers. But really, high school is a time to explore your interests, and you shouldn't be tallying things up just to put them on your application. We like to say that there is this importance of being well lopsided, which means a long-term commitment to one or two major interests and passions. Maybe you're good at a variety of things, but you really show excellence and stand out in in one or two. 
I think a lot of students these days feel overcommitted even before high school begins. And so this is something for both students and their parents to be aware of as they navigate the high school years. So it's not about doing lots and lots of things. It's about doing one or two things really well and using that as the way to differentiate yourself from other students when you're going into college admission. Exactly. Okay, great. So one of the other things that I've heard families and students talk about is it just seems impossible to get into good schools these days. Are you finding that that's true? It's absolutely not true. It is true that college admissions have become very competitive, but when you really think about it, there are over 3,000 colleges in the United States, meaning that there really is a school for everyone. I see so many students putting so much pressure on themselves that I find that it actually ends up working against them. They get overwhelmed with all the things that they think that they need to complete, and they just really end up putting themselves at a disadvantage. So my advice would be don't compare yourself as well as don't compare your college list to everyone around you. Every student is different, so it's important that you focus on your personal needs and your own unique skill set and that you and your family really decide what's right for you. So the follow-up question to that is, is there a number, a magic number in the number of schools that students should apply to? Um, I'd say the ideal number is about seven. You should have a couple of what we call safety schools, meaning that you're likely to get into those schools. You should have a few 50-50 schools, meaning that you're just as likely to get in as you are not to be admitted. And then a couple reach schools where it's like it sounds, it's a little bit more of a reach for you, but maybe those are your dream schools. You should also remember that more applications means more essays, more supplements, more deadlines to keep track of. I remember last year, a student wanted to apply to 14 colleges, and we really had to work with that student and remind them about all the work that goes into every one of these essays. She wanted to kind of, quote unquote, hedge her bets because she was worried that she wasn't going to get in anywhere. But then when she realized all the work involved in all of those applications, she rethought her desire to apply to 14 schools and ended up applying to, I think it was about seven or eight. So your time and energy is really best spent on perfecting the applications for the schools that you want to attend. And in addition to that, I don't recommend applying to schools at which you wouldn't see yourself so that you can simply increase your odds. You're really setting yourself up for a rude awakening when you step onto a campus for the first day of school and you realize at that time that it's really not right for your unique qualities. Okay, so your suggestion is seven schools. I've heard seven to ten. And to really concentrate on what's a good fit for the student as opposed to applying to, as you said, 14 different schools in order to hedge your bets. Mm-hmm. So For students who had so-so grades, can they make up for that with a great SAT score? It's important to remember that your SAT score is one factor among many different factors. Students should keep in mind that their grades are the single most important factor in college admissions, so they should always try their hardest in their classes. And it's important that you're not shy about asking for help when you need it. 
students should feel free to talk to their teachers, attend their office hours, talk to their parents when they're struggling. Maybe, maybe it's a good idea to seek out a tutor. But remembering that your academic record, the rigor of your academic record, is the most important factor. So while SAT scores is a factor, really it's about getting and maintaining the best academic record that you could put together. Correct, over the entire four years. Well, that just kind of begs the next question, which is should students wait until their senior year to plan and apply to college? The best time in reality to start planning is not senior year. It's not even junior year, but really freshman year. And some people will also say eighth grade. For instance, it's important that students are taking Algebra 1 by eighth grade. If they wait until junior or senior year, they're actually going to end up feeling the pressure of the college going process even more. And, And it can actually become too overwhelming. I think starting early can set a student up for engaging in some really meaningful extracurricular activities. They can start to form what we refer to as a theme in their application and really developing their interests and their passions. And it can put them on track academically where they want to be by their senior year. On the flip side, lack of planning can sometimes result in important pieces falling through the cracks, like, for example, not having taken the appropriate testing. Students can miss out and realize that they can't apply to a school that they wanted to apply to because they didn't have a test. For instance, last year we had a student come to us who who didn't come to us till late in the planning process and it was too late for them to take one of the required tests and unfortunately they weren't able to apply to a school that they really wanted to apply to. So getting started earlier is better than waiting until the last minute. And I think that that's always true. I mean, kind of one of my recurring themes is something from the Bible, which is, our people perish for lack of knowledge? And lack of knowledge in the world of college admission can mean missed opportunities, and that is definitely unfortunate. Can you go back and talk a little bit more about themes? You talked about how you talk to your students and the students that you work with about developing a theme in their college application process. Right. So developing a theme is really, you know, maybe a student has this deep passion for photography. So maybe what they do is they try and choose their extracurricular activities to surround that theme. Maybe they start a photography club on campus, and then at the same time they take several photography courses over their summers. Maybe they go to a camp that's geared directly toward photography They enter into photography contests. They win their school's photography award for the best photographer in the school. That's an example of the theme that is really important to come across in an application. And it kind of goes back to what we talked about earlier about that sort of well-lopsided student, good at maybe a variety of things, but really showing excellence in their particular passion. Thank you for explaining that. That sounds like something that would be really important to students. One of the things that I see since I'm a college planner that specializes in college funding is a concern with the cost of college. And a lot of students would like to attend private colleges in particular, but they're very expensive. So can a college education be an option for all students? 
Absolutely. I think a lot of families experience a form of sticker shock. They see the cost of a private university and get turned off right away. But the reality is that sometimes a private university, many times, a private university can actually end up costing less than attending a public university whose quote-unquote sticker price is initially much less. Private universities are often able to provide students with more favorable aid packages, making it sometimes ultimately less expensive than some of the public universities. Yeah, that's a theme that I frequently will talk to parents about. It's just like when you are applying to colleges, you know, let's work together on getting the numbers down so that they're affordable, but don't count out colleges just because of the sticker price of schools because nobody pays the sticker price on college. They're usually paying something less than that through the form of some sorts of financial aid scholarships and all the other things that colleges and your abilities will reduce that price. Exactly, exactly. And these days with the um, price calculators on schools' websites, you can get a little bit of a better idea. They aren't hard and fast, but you can get a little bit better of an idea of what your actual end-of-the-day cost is going to be. Yes, and, you know, the net cost calculators are on all colleges' websites, so it's definitely a resource that every student and their families can take advantage of today. Mm-hmm. So the other thing that I hear again and again is that the best way to get into college is by playing sports. Would you agree? Well, <laughs> this can be true if you're a really stellar standout athlete, but I think The reality is, and it's really important that students and families really understand this, is that athletic scholarships are really difficult to obtain. And I think it's important to keep in mind that many students play sports, sometimes really to help their resume. And we all know that those sports take up an incredible amount of time, time that students might otherwise be doing doing something that they're maybe more passionate about, or perhaps focusing more on their grades. I think it's important to remember that sports aren't the only extracurricular activity out there, and I really would encourage students to explore their interests if they really are just playing sports because they think it'll help them get into college. When I was in college, there was a professor at my college who used to talk about the statistics of playing at the college level and then playing it at the professional level. And the statistics were really just surprising. And I think if uh, students knew those statistics, then they'd be less likely to devote as much attention. I mean, you devote the attention because you enjoy the game. It's not necessarily best for you to be focusing on sports just to pad your resume. I will tell you that one of the resources for students who are interested in some additional information about colleges, we did a podcast with Chuck Moore about college funding specifically for athletes. So if somebody is particularly interested in that subject, that may be something that they definitely want to check out at the College Funding Resource podcast series. So let me just kind of talk about the other thing that I see, you know, I can get pretty heated and excited about it, (laughs) is students start looking for scholarships fairly late in the game. When do you think students should start looking for and applying for scholarships? Early. (laughs) I think I agree fully, and it's frustrating to see that happen. Many deadlines come and pass 
actually during fall of senior year, before students even submit their applications. Last year, we had a student come to us kind of late in the game, and they didn't start searching for any scholarships until March. And unfortunately, every scholarship that we came up with, the deadline had already passed. And it was very frustrating for the student. It was frustrating for us that we couldn't help them find any scholarships. So I think it pays in a very literal sense to do your research over several years leading up to your senior year. One thing you can do is keep a log of available scholarships that you find over those several years and the past winners that won and what were those winners' characteristics so that when it comes time to apply, you have your list of scholarships, you know when the deadlines are, you've been tracking what type of student is winning that scholarship. And in addition, I think scholarships from many clubs and organizations require that you are involved over a period of time. And so if you become a member of a certain organization only during your senior year, then you may not be eligible for one of those scholarships. I think that's very true. I have volunteered for a number of years with an organization called ACAP, and basically it's a summer program for students who are interested in perhaps going into something finance-related. So if you were interested in finance, if you were interested in auditing, if you were interested in accounting, you know, just all the various different aspects of finance that there could be, um, they've got people coming in and speaking to the group about it. And oftentimes, uh, one of the things that I've heard from the head of that organization is their scholarships are only available to students who participate in their program. And despite the fact that kids have participated in their program, they still don't always get the number of students applying to their organization for the scholarships that are available. It's a very limited pool of students who can qualify for this particular scholarship, and they're still not getting enough. So it's something that I definitely have concerns about, and it's certainly something that I try and encourage my families to dedicate some time. And I like your concept of doing it over several years because it means that you're not waiting to the last minute. I will add to that that one of the things that I often will do is I will say give a family, call it three to five scholarships a month to apply for. So three scholarships to apply for in the month of August, in September, October, November, because the reality is you don't often get all of the scholarship monies that you're looking for. You may get some of the monies that you're applying for. So if you apply for more scholarships than you necessarily need the resources, then you have a better chance of getting it. We also did a pot. I'm sorry, go ahead. I like that. I like that piece of advice. Well, we also did a podcast series on that in the past. It's called Searching for and Finding Scholarships. So if people are looking for additional information on scholarships, they can go to our website and listen to that particular one. So let me ask you, who should write a student's letter of recommendation? Should it just be, you know, whatever teachers that are teaching them in their senior year, or should a little bit more thought go into it than that? I think a student really does need to involve some strategy in this. Sometimes students will say, oh, you know, my my history teacher really likes me, so I think she should write my recommendation. Students really need to be selecting a teacher, preferably from the junior year, who's able to speak to the student's academic curiosity and can speak to how they will contribute to a classroom environment in a college atmosphere. 
maybe a student was able to raise their grade from a B to an A, or maybe in one class they did extra work outside of the classroom that was above and beyond the assigned work. Maybe there's a teacher who teaches a student in the classroom and then who also knows the student and interacts with them outside the classroom, maybe in athletics or in a club. These are some important factors to consider when selecting who writes a student's letter. So it needs to involve some planning and some intention in actually getting to know your teachers. You know, I was kind of one of those students that, you know, did well in school, but I can't say that I spent a lot of time getting to know my teachers and letting my teachers get to know me. It definitely seems like it's increasingly more important, and that's good advice that you just shared. Yeah, I would I would recommend that students, I mentioned it earlier, seek out their teacher during office hours, make an effort to say hello to them in the hallway, give them a chance to get to know you as a person. Absolutely. So increasingly, students are looking at the rankings in various different publications, including U.S. News and World Report, and they've got a top 20 list. Is that the list that they should be looking at when they're thinking about what colleges to apply to based on ranks? You know, many of these reports are based on a variety of factors that in reality can sometimes be skewed. So, no, I would not suggest a student really basing their college list on what some of these various best colleges lists say. I think the bottom line is the, you know, quote-unquote best college really means the best fit for you as a student. And I think that that's probably the biggest take-home message. So looking at what's a good fit for the students as opposed to what's the best rank based on these rankings is a better way to look at colleges. Exactly. exactly. So, Jen, do you have any final thoughts that you'd like to share with us that summarizes kind of these top 10 college myths? You know, I think, unfortunately, the increase in competition in college admissions has really led to this proliferation of and really rapid spread of false information. And so I think the more that families can arm themselves with knowledge and with the facts, um, the less stress that they'll experience during this entire long process. So I just encourage families to do the research find out the facts, and hopefully they'll have a much better experience. College's mission is not like it was when I was applying to college. It's a lot more competitive. There's a lot more factors that seem to be coming into play, and there's a lot more competition. So anything that students and families can do to educate themselves so that they can alleviate some of the stress and so that they have a better idea of how the process works I think that all works in their favor. So if somebody was looking to get a hold of you and get some additional information, would you like to share that with us, please? Sure. We are FutureWise Consulting. Our phone number, if anyone wants to give us a call, is 949-AREA-CODE-478-3455. You can check us out online. Our website is www.futurewiseconsulting.com. And our email is info at futurewiseconsulting.com.
All right. And so for those listeners who are interested in reaching out to Jen, you can listen to the podcast and get that information, or if you missed it, it will also be in the show notes. So to learn more about the college planning process, I invite you to visit our website, College Funding Resource. I also encourage my listeners to keep coming back to listen to more of our podcasts. At College Funding Resource, you'll be able to listen for free to guests like Jen who have valuable information to share. Jen, I'd like to thank you for joining me today and dispelling some of the common college admission myths. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. And I want to thank all of my listeners for joining us today, and I hope that you will join me again for the next installment of the College Expert Talk podcast. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's edition of the College Experts Talk podcast. We hope you'll join us again for our next podcast where we will continue to legally share college insider information with parents and students from the insiders themselves. For more information and to instantly download your free copy of the College Funding Resources Report titled Five Strategies That Parents Need to Start Using Today to Cut Their College Costs Tomorrow, visit www.collegefundingresource.com. That's www.collegefundingresource.com. This is Mike Elmore for the College Experts Talk Podcast. 